built. And uh, we actually have a, have a special guest this week, so it's not just going to be you know Colin, Colin James and I dropping all the alpha. We're actually going to have some live and direct from uh, from Joe Valley. So some some background on Joe. Uh, you know, he's he's got a an, an Amazon book that was a bestseller in seven categories about actually uh, called the Exitpreneur's Playbook about basically planning your business to get acquired and then actually executing an acquisition and all the things that go along that and in between that, uh, which is something I know that all of y'all out there are definitely excited to, to hear about. Um, and think about the future of what your businesses look like. But that's the short version of the bio. I don't like to kind of read someone's Wikipedia. Joe, I'll let you give a bit of an intro in, into yourself and, uh, you know, why it is all the people should be stoked to listen to you. Sure, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm an entrepreneur just like you guys. I've built, bought, sold my own online businesses, um, six in all in my career, and I've helped sell about 100 million personally through uh, my team at Quiet, through myself at Quiet Light, and then my, my team, another half a billion. Um, and I just, uh, you know, I've been doing it for the last decade, uh, and I just felt like I needed to put it all in a book, right? I, if, I, if I'm being completely honest, and I was in an event uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, it was probably like four weeks ago, where I got COVID, by the way, don't go to events. Um, and someone was talking about being your, 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 your true self and whatnot. So I'm not going to drop any F-bombs here, because that would be being my true self. But the reality is that I've been in the M&A world advising for over a decade, and I've had over 8,000 one-on-one conversations with entrepreneurs that own online businesses. And I swear I repeated the same thing 7,000 times. So I just had to put it, I just had to, I had to write it down. And it's also, it's a lot of information and people can't absorb it. So, uh, you know, there's, there's so much information that goes into um, understanding the value of what you have, what levers to push and pull, what buyers are looking for, um, making sure you maximize your value and, and training for your exit, not planning exit. Planning is terrible, but training for your exit. So we're all going to exit someday, no matter what you're going to, you're, you're, you're going to lose. By choice or not, right? Someday. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Zero or more than zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. And so, yeah. Like, that, that's awesome to hear. And we, uh, you know, I think a lot of people that are listening to this pod are, I think in the, in the middle of that journey, either they've just started building their businesses and are prepping for it, or they've kind of gone through one business. This is what we see a lot is that we have people that have seen kind of, one exit or have kind of done one thing and then are really trying to do it better the next time, which I know is uh, someplace we've all been because we've had our share of, of, of awkward businesses or businesses weren't quite what we thought they were. Um, but yeah, I think it's some exciting stuff to, to dive into here. Uh, so actually, I'd like to, you mentioned Quiet Light at the beginning, just so people kind of know know what that is. We get to get a brief overview of, of that. Yeah, Quiet Light is an M&A firm. I'm a partner there with a guy named Mark Doust, who was the original founder here, now became partners in 2017. Um we just focus on selling online businesses and everybody on the team is an entrepreneur, just like you guys. We've all built, bought, or sold. I don't want to pitch quiet light too much. I mean, it is what it is. People that know who they are understand that it's, um, it's an organization that helps people get maximum value. We, our value is built in conversations and we help first and we help last and that's the end of the story. So are you like, uh, is, is quiet light like a, a marketplace with a value add and, and the hand holding and, and a personal touch? Is that yeah, it's a t- total white glove service? So if you think of Flippa on one end where you can list or biz by sell on one end where you're just listing businesses, um, uh, the opposite end of the spectrum is hitting, having your hand held the entire way through kind of like a, you know, it really, you know, the, the term investment banker 
is nobody there's really bankers. They're just brokers with a fancier name. We're M&A advisors is what we are, right? Or business broker, whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's hand-holding the entire way through. Because I swear, Colin, when you are uh, two weeks away from you know a $10 million uh, amount hitting your bank account, or a million or five or whatever, add, add or subtract zeros, whatever number matters to you, you're going to get emotional. And, and and not having the support of somebody that's been there before, uh, either on their own or hundreds of times through other acquisitions, um, it's really, really important to have. Yeah. And something that I think we, we've been through here, at least Colin and I went through last July, is we had taken this business onto the OTCQX from, uh, from, from being a private company and uh, could have definitely used some more handholding through that process, not going to lie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you guys, uh, Quiet and, and we don't have to harbor on it too much, but so you guys fall under like an SEC, an SEC exemption of like a broker exempt M&A advisory essentially, right? Yeah, technically we're not, we, can, we don't sell stock. So we're not brokers, we're not stock brokers. These are all asset sales or 99% sure. of them are. There's a clause in the engagement letters of, of anyone in our space that says if it converts to a stock sale, then we become, um, we don't become advisors. We don't earn a commission. We earn a marketing fee. Simple sure. as that. Yeah, yeah, you don't take any bips on the, on the transaction. You're just taking a flat fee for the transaction instead. If it flips to a stock sale, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Yeah. And so I know we uh, started getting the car before the horse. I think that's the interesting part. We'll, we'll dive in there uh, a bit and actually the technicalities, how some of these work. But uh, I think to, to take it back to the, the start of if you're an entrepreneur out there listening um, or you're someone who's who's inside of a business you know, and you want to set goals for your business, you know, I think uh, something that we found in Joe's book, uh, Exitpreneur, was about uh, – yeah, you know, setting these goals and there's some like kind of declarative statements that people can make when they think about selling their business. And so we'd love to just kind of get a little bit of background uh, from you on like what people should be thinking about when they set out to acquire their business, some of those kind of phrases and the impact that they have, and uh, then let some of the team kind of share, share their anecdotes after that. Yeah, I mean, you can just look at all the studies on goal setting. We've all heard them over the years, but the reality is we don't implement them because we just say, oh, I got this and I'm busy and I'll get there when I get there. Right? Guilty, 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 guilty. Oh, yeah. all day. We've all check, done check, it. Check, check, <laughs> check. But if you, if you write down your goals and you talk to each other, your colleagues, your friends about them, you put some detail to it, and then you do a weekly or monthly check-in on how far you're progressing towards your goal, your odds of increase it, uh, achieving those goals go up by 76%. So that's that's pretty good. I think, I think Larry Bird, you know, for those Celtics fans, James – I think he shot like 66% from the free throw line and he was a legend. So you can get 76% by writing down your goals and then you've got to reverse engineer path to them. But with the writing of the goals, I always focus on uh, dollars, dates, and feelings, right? We understand dollars. Some people like when I uh, am initially talking to somebody and, and they're trying to figure out what they want to sell their business for, or I ask that question, I say, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve with your exit? How much do you want to sell the business for? They say, well, I want to sell for four times. Okay, that's not a dollar amount. You don't put multiples into the bank account. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the problem is that four times what is the question? Or and people can't properly calculate seller's discretionary earnings, with, which we'll get into into a bit. But you got to do dollars and then a date. So I've got one, but I'll, I'll make one up, right? I have I, I have to walk the walk. So someday I'm going to exit Quiet Light, right? And I have it written down and I know what I'm shooting for and I, and I visit with my business partner on a regular basis. Um, 
I wouldn't recommend a spouse because a spouse, unless they're in the business with you, is not going to see it from the same perspective. Yeah, we, um, we keep our spouses in the businesses for tax purposes only. There's no, uh, there's no actual involvement. Yeah. Well, add your kids too then because you can deduct them as well. Um, so I will sell my business for $5 million in the third quarter of you know 2023. Those are the first two parts of it. So pick a dollar amount that works for you. But then we all know that as entrepreneurs, we have great days. We have great weeks, we have great months, and we have great years. But we also have the opposite of the, that is awful years, right? Uh, I've had years, we just filed our tax returns. I've had years where I've had carry forward losses, which means that you did so poorly the year before that you've got write-offs that carry forward to the next year. It's just part of life as an entrepreneur. So you want to put in the feelings because that'll help you get over those hard days, days, weeks, and months, and years that we have as entrepreneurs sometimes. So and when I sell my business, I will feel unburdened. That's the number one response that people give me when they sell their business. I'm like, hey, Orrin, how do you feel, man? I feel unburdened, man. That was, I was carrying six hundred thousand dollars of inventory on my back. That was scary shit, man. You know, so unburdened. Get to spend more time with the family. Go on that RV trip that you always wanted to go on, or you get to go on to your next adventure completely debt free, right? I've got kids that are older. I could be like, yeah, college is paid for. Stuff like that. So. Dollars, date, and feeling. And then the trick, the key here is reverse engineering a path to it. So once you pick that dollar amount, you have to understand the true value of your business today. If you don't, it's just a pipe dream. You don't know, you're like you're not going straight to it. It's kind of like Google Maps, but it can't get you in a direct line to get there. It's going to take you from you know, Charlotte, North Carolina. If I don't go to Boise, Idaho, it's going to take me to Texas first, you know, from Charlotte, North Carolina. Instead, if I reverse engineer a clear path too, it's going to take me directly to Boise, Idaho. So you got to get evaluation done on your business. So you understand exactly what it's worth today. And in most cases, people are closer to their goal than they think. That's the surprising thing. James, you look like you're raising your hand. I just say think something. it's funny because you <laughs> talked about carrying losses forward and then you mentioned Boise, Idaho, which makes me think this is a man who's thought about selling his business and has thought about taxes. Because uh, <laughs> I know a bunch of people that live in Boise, Idaho. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> the same way they live yeah, in Nevada. Yeah. For the listener, so Jay, uh, James, James air quoted uh, lived in, in Boise, Idaho. So, you know, uh, yeah, we're going to encourage abiding by old laws here on a. <laughs> I actually Boise, just Idaho. have I have relatives that live there. I don't know why I always say Boise, Idaho. I, I mean, it happens another. to be a, a, a place where a lot of people go for tax purposes. Is, is Idaho? So are there no st- are there no state income taxes there? I, Sorry. I Sorry. mean, I think there's either none or very little. Nevada. This is why awesome. California's going to Nevada. Amer- uh, New Yorkers go to Florida. I'm pretty sure Boise is is an, uh, Idaho is another big. Uh, Big, uh, Must be a people yeah. go to haven. Not as much. Yeah, haven. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> a haven. <laughs> haven. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think havens are like when you start getting into the you know uh, the, the Bahamas and whatnot. But uh, and actually, so so James, you just sold a business like like a couple months ago, right? And so I think sure. did uh, can you kind of walk through? Did you did you set goals around selling it? Did it achieve those goals? Did it kind of just happen? What you know? What would you have done better, kind of in hindsight, with that? So ironically, other than to not to push back on what Joe said, but we, we did the exact opposite. We were much further away from <laughs> from where I wanted to go with it, right? Like we, you know, we we and it wasn't asset sale, right? The asset yep. sale, as opposed to you know, I, the last business I sold before that was actually a stock swap, mostly, right? And so that was like a full on, and that was to a, a pubco, right? So it was obviously a different sort of transaction as well. But for this asset sale, which was interesting, was. Uh, you know, we planned for the business to do a lot more money than it did. You know, we sort of got crushed by a lot of iOS updates and a lot of craziness and sort of um, supply chain stuff. It was a consumer packaged goods brand. Um, and I learned a lot because 
uh, I one of the reasons I wanted them. Uh, well, the asset sale was interesting because then all of a sudden they get to depreciate the assets on their balance sheet from that they buy from us. A, B, they also don't take the liability of buying a business from me, right? That's so the we key had a hearing aid, Yeah, we had a hearing aid company, right? So like they, they're legal and we sold to open stores and Keith Raboy, right? So like obviously people that are pretty sophisticated uh, investors and they and I really wanted them just to buy the whole business, right? But they, you know, what they don't want is the liabilities that if they buy the business, if they just buy the assets from us and then someone wants to sue me later on, they still sue me for owning the business, right? Whereas they don't sue them because they don't own the actual business. They just own the assets of said business. Um, it's, it's a cleaner transaction some, too. It's a, it's a simpler sure. transaction. That way you get to keep all the money in the bank account. You, you're responsible for accounts payable, accounts receivable, but it's, it's a cleaner transaction in that sense. I mean, people was, that yeah. are sitting on a lot of money in their bank account always fear they're going to have to give that up. For sure. For sure. I mean, it was, we, you know, candidly, the, uh, and the business I sold before that we sold for much more than I ever thought we'd sell it for. This was the plan was to sell it for a lot more, right? Was it sort of was supposed to be the sort of the cornerstone of a of a roll up, right? Yeah. To sort of uh, crush some opex and sort of bring a lot of stuff in house. Didn't end up working out. Someone gave us a an opportunity to to buy. It gave us an opportunity for an exit. And uh, kudos to to them. I really wish them the best of luck with with that brand. I'm pretty confident in what we we were good at, and I'm pretty confident they're not going to do it better than we did. But <laughs> if they're confident and the, they can, good, good for them. But yeah, didn't it? We we actually came in way under what we wanted with this one, and it was just an opportunity for an exit. I think probably more people that come to you, Joe, from your experience are like, are have built things. We bought the brand in March of 2021. We started the sale of it in November of 2021. We just closed in February. It was like a we five x revenue. It was a big growth thing. We were hoping to grow it to be twenty or thirty million a year, and it top lined out at about three million and it was trailing twelve. Right, so it was a different sort of not what we hoped from it. But I'm assuming when you guys represent people at Quiet or from what you've seen, it's much more, uh, much more mature businesses, right? I mean, it's sort of like what's that vetting process like in terms of because you guys are taking on very specific clientele. It's not just anyone on the planet, right? It's not. It's not a marketplace where I can just go list anything right. and take a, a marketplace fee. Right, right. We're a little picky. We don't earn a nickel unless we actually sell the business. So we, we get a little picky. And that's why we want to help people and get them. The more we, the more conversations we can have up front, you know, in the longer period, 12, 24 months before they're going to sell, the more prepared they're going to be. And strangely enough, the more valuable the business is going to be. And then strangely enough, the easier the transaction is going to be. And then the more money we actually make. So by doing as much free helpful valuations and things like this the more money we actually make it's a wonderful business model um i forget the answer i forget your question though james <laughs> it was more no it was more it was more just like sort of what the type of people that come to you guys age, yeah of, it, you know, it's and, it, it's everybody really the age of the business we try i think the youngest we've sold might be 12 months but it's usually we're just doing someone a favor if the business is that young um, buyers tend to give, you know, they, they look for a, a discount if anything's under 24 months. They're like, it's not aged well, and we don't know if it's going to succeed in the future. There's it hasn't got over those hurdles and whatnot and recovered. So they push the value down if it's less than 24 months. Well, that, that brings up an interesting thought of mine, which is that people ask me a lot. I, I talk a lot about buying and selling online businesses. And so people ask me a lot about SBA loans, right? And so for, and you guys often, the businesses you guys sell actually are SBA eligible often, right? And and, and a lot of that is does require. I don't know if you know the SBA process, but I do. Does require yeah. two years of 
three uh, two years of three years okay can you tell three. us a little bit about that yeah yeah it, it really only about 15 percent of our transactions uh were sba loans uh and oddly enough about 30 percent of all of our transactions were sold to fba aggregators so something else mm. altogether yeah but it, they're they're looking generally for three years worth of tax returns which you know if somebody's exiting in 24 months they're not going to have it um, and because they take the average of the three years to determine the future cash flow and then if the loan is going to support if the cash flow is going to support the loan and the lifestyle of the buyer as well so it's 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 an interesting and great way to buy a business with as little as 10 percent down. Um, you can get you can get SBA lending for yourself. You can uh, you know up to five million dollars that you're personally liable for. So if the three of you wanted to join together and buy up a bunch of businesses, you each sign for them personally. You've got fifteen million dollars worth of businesses that you can buy. Oh, the bank the banks don't give us money. The uh, <laughs> yeah after <laughs> after the things we've been involved with, you know yeah. <laughs> I've never done it either. US Bank. It's a long story. <laughs> most tra- most transactions are not people. People come with with their own cash. Uh, they're sure. they're they're pretty flush with uh, money these days. We I think we had an average of three point seven four three point seven five offers on every listing in twenty twenty one. Wow. Yeah. And it's so crazy. Guess, is, is that because the climate right now is just super ripe for people trying to buy and sell businesses? Or is that just the nature of where your business is at? Yeah, it's a combination of both. We've grown an average, Quiet Light's grown an average of 55% year over year since 2017. Last year, we grew 85%. Uh, and, and it was a bit of a frenzy last year. We usually are in multiple offer situations on most of our listings. Um, but last year was kind of nuts. It'll slow probably, down a little bit. That probably makes somebody that needs to go through the SBA process is probably at a bit of a disadvantage when there are two and a half or three other offers on the same business that, that don't need to do that, I would imagine. You know, it, you're absolutely right. Anybody that's coming in with cash generally has an advantage. But if you look at front, if, if you could remove the emotions from the seller of the business, um, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're they're going to hold the business. Let's say they're they're making... Let's say they're, they're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a month in discretionary earnings, okay? 2.4 million annually. So if they choose an SBA buyer over a cash buyer, odds are, number one, the SBA buyer is going to maybe pay a little bit more. They got, you know, guidelines and whatnot, but um, it's going to take an extra uh, 45 to 60 days to close because it's SBA and there's a process. So I'm going to make an extra, you know, three to four hundred thousand dollars. Because on my way out, out. the problem with that and the reason why sellers don't choose SBA over cash is because there's somebody in the middle making the decisions on whether this is going to be approved or not. Right. So you're just going to do your homework before that. Every time we launch a listing, we run it by every time we launch a listing that's going to be SBA pre-approved. We know what's going to be, but we run it by a lender. We get a full workup on it. And so we know it's going to be SBA pre-approved 99% of the time. And then before we sign a letter of intent with a buyer that is going to be SBA, an SBA buyer, they've got to go through that same process. They've got to go through the approval process with that particular lender to make sure that they're good to go. If you do that, it shouldn't fall apart. It should be okay. Sure. Yeah. I, I actually have a real quick question then, because in terms of thinking about how to get to that exit, what are the things that you see 
that people mess up. I, I went through a transaction where we couldn't get audits done in time. So everything fell apart after a year and a half, essentially. What are the, are there, if someone's planning early on to go be able to sell a business, right, through Quiet Light or something similar, yeah. what are the things they need to do to prep from the very beginning, right? What are the things that people sort of totally, totally miss out on, other than having all your financials in order, right? Like, are there things, you know, like, is that a big one? Is it something that happens often? Like, I think that, you know, we're, we can talk about sort of your process of valuations and how you look at that. Um, what is SDE versus cash flow versus net income, right? Like in terms of like, let me let me ask a question sorry, though, James. Multiple parts. Why did you why do you say other than having your financials in order? Well, because there's, surely there's other like I don't know. Because I, I, that's, that's a given. Because that's a given. No, no, no. Financials <laughs> in order. Because I don't. Through, listen, I, I went through <laughs> yeah, like a really really long transaction in my life that totally fell apart, and we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because audits couldn't get done in, done in time for yeah. a reverse merger. Yeah. So I don't. So the, I learned that lesson the, the really horrifically hard way, like sitting on the floor crying, kind of stuff. You know. Yeah, but I think, yeah, um, <laughs> but I think before, so I think the preemptive is the answer. We should preempt whatever the answer to the question is with your financials need to be in order. So whatever people that are building this, if you're using like your friend's cousin as a CPA, or like you're trying to do it yourself, and you're like, oh, I use TurboTax, that should be good. Like it's time. Get your CPA. I don't care where your business is at. Sure. Like prepare for it. Go through the audit process. Choose, choose your auditor. Think think through what this looks like and, and get some real financial advice. Now that that disclaimer is out of the way, thank you. We can hit on to okay. what the other. You, you know, it would be great if that disclaimer was actually listened to, right? But when disclaimers <laughs> yeah. are up, people go, yeah, whatever. That's the number one reason businesses don't even get listed is because they just screw up their financials. But if you want to move beyond that and go with that disclaimer, Oren, um, it's really uh, the four key drivers of a business the, that buyers look at. So buyers have you know, historically looked at four things. And we didn't develop this at Quiet Light. The buyers did. It's risk, growth, transferability, and documentation. So risk. If you've got you know, uh, a hero skew doing 70% of the revenue and it's in the electronic space, God forbid, right? <laughs> Forget about it. Your multiple is going to go way down. <laughs> these, these things, these four pillars um, are, are, are what, it, what did you just hold up, James? What was that? Uh, the, the business we just sold. <laughs> the electronic space. <laughs> An electronic space with a hero skew that did 70% of the business. <laughs> and, the, and, and I didn't know that, but your multiple is probably not super strong, right? It, was, it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Colin and I worked at a business where we raised $100 million and lost it all in the consumer electronic space. So like, you know, we can get as bad as you <laughs> yeah. want. The there horror story go. is worse you could think of. Like we're there. It's amazing how I hit on things <laughs> unknowingly. <laughs> So I hate yeah, Joe. No. <laughs> Sorry. get him that bucket to cry in again. Um, yeah, risk, growth, transferability, documentation. Uh, the doc, the, the documentation. That's all the financial stuff, the SOP stuff. That's going to make your life easier. Obviously, uh, with that disclaimer in place. But the SOPs is going to make your life easier after you sell, right? Because you're you're not going to have to stick around as long to help your buyer during that training and transition period. Move over one to transferability. It should go without saying that if the assets uh, that uh, are driving the revenue of the business are not transferable, you do not have a sellable business. If you are the name and face of your business, you're going to be able to get out of the daily grind, but you're still going to have to be the name and face of the business for a while after closing. So skip over to uh, risk tra risk uh, growth, right? So when you're selling a business, you know, uh, yeah, for those, just imagine a hockey puck. I'm trying to do it here on the screen. You don't want to sell the business when it's at the top of the puck. You want it just after that curve and it's going up and there's still lots of growth left. That's what buyers want. And you have to be really good at understanding what you are good at and what you're totally incompetent at, right? So maybe you can take a business from zero to 5 million, but can you take it from five to 20 or 20 to 100? 
right? I could take it from zero to 20, but I don't think I could take it from 20 to 100. Like, I'm out. Let's sell it. Let's move on. Agreed. I'll go on to my next adventure. So really make sure you don't promote yourself to your own level of incompetence. So uh, that was growth. Don't wait until the business is plateauing or trending down because your multiple is going to go down really, really fast. And then back to risk, channel risk. Are you selling just on Amazon? It used to be that if you're on selling on, let's say, Shopify versus Amazon, that the Shopify store is going to get a 20% bump in valuation because of the frenzy in late 20. 2020 and 2021 with the aggregators, it's it's come up a little bit. It's a little bit more even, but no matter what, if you have ownership of the customers, the business is more valuable. So think about channel risk. Um, and then uh, all sorts of different things within all four of those things are really what sway the multiple. So if you're doing uh, $400,000 in discretionary earnings, and let's say your multiple is going to be somewhere between three and five, this is you know, the four-pillar tilt, right? These are the four pillars. They're going to tilt left or right, depending upon how strong or how weak these four pillars are. And people do not pay enough attention to them. And they are what is going to make a difference between retiring and not retiring if you pay attention closely to them. So that's, that's what I would say people have to really, really focus on those, those four things. There's a lot of nuances to all of them. Um, I think they're all in chapter 14 of the book. It's, it's a very long section of the – actually, I'm sorry. It's at the beginning of the book. I've got a chapter on each of those sections because um, there's so much detail to it. And so with that, so if you have – if your documentation in particular, are there any kind of tools or strategies for this? You know, I know like at least in the in the business that Colin and I were working in previously, we had like these big old Google Drive folders with like every conceivable SOP that you could think of and then these like giant master metric spreadsheets that was like our attempt at that. And I think everything we tried to do to move it into Coda or one of these other places – just kind of didn't really catch. Are there any things that you can kind of recommend for if someone does want to have their documentation correct? Are there any software or tools or approaches that uh, make a difference? Yeah, there's so many different businesses that you're going to take approach that works oh, for your business, yeah. right? So, uh, you know, that's that's really all it is. The the one thing for physical product e-commerce businesses that nine out of ten people get wrong is they don't have inventory aging reports, right? Because buyers want to buy good sellable inventory on hand at the time of closing. They don't want to buy that 10% that's been sitting there for 14 years, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's still written off at the actual value that you could have sold that when it was popular. Yeah, exactly. Right. So <laughs> that's the number one thing people don't do. But, you know, you got you to devise your own system. Have it in Google Drive, ideally. Um, but when you go to sell your business, uh, we, don't rec- we don't ask people to put together uh, everything that is going to be needed by the buyer at the beginning of the process, because there's so many steps to go along. And it's really after the business has launched and we're getting conversations with buyers, we know, okay, this is going to happen. Here's what you need to start to gather. We'll give you a documentation to think about earlier, but we're going to keep you incredibly busy prior to the business listing. So you're not going to start putting a due diligence folder together. Actually, that, on, that makes me... Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Colin. Go, please. On, on the topic of SOPs and documentation... I guess without naming the business, I'm curious what the best documentation, like the most dialed SOPs that you've seen are, um, maybe just like categorically for the type of business that it was. And then like the follow-up to that is how much of an impact did it have on on that sales process? Um, <clears throat> so on and so forth. 
Yeah. You know what has the biggest impact on a sales process is actually the trust factor. It's the seller of the business being a good person and then doing all of that stuff as well. So when you asked that question, Colin, uh, a guy named Syed Balki came to mind. You guys know that name, Syed Balki? He owns, op- he owns Optin Monster. Which is just oh, okay. it, yeah. it's you know and so so yeah, we we were just talking about last yeah week. we just talked about that on last week's <laughs> podcast okay <laughs> perfect. Yeah. perfect yeah it's weird so I've known Syed for I don't know gosh it goes six seven years now uh, I've sold three businesses for him not opt-in monsters but but three others and each time he goes to sell a business he's he's got an incredible organization by the way but um, he has a separate entity for every business that he owns. Right. And so when he wakes up, he goes, you know, I'm tired of this one. Let's go ahead and sell that. We'll take that cash, put it into Optin Monster. It's it's really simple. He runs the reports. He gets the details. The team transfers over. Uh, It's all for thought thought in advance with the potential buyer in mind. You think, what kind of business do you want to buy? What kind of business do you want to take over? What what are you afraid of that that key person in that business is going to leave? You want to you know make sure that they come with a business. All those fears that you have as an acquisition entrepreneur, reverse it as a seller and fix those things and make sure it's right so the buyer trusts you implicitly because you've done all that for him or her and they're going to pay you more money for it and the deal structure is going to be better too. Not all these deals are all cash. Right, uh, so you're going to have a better deal structure. You're going to be able to sleep better at night after closing, knowing that you're going to get paid. And that's something we've dug into a bunch, uh, and I think we're going to transition talking about metrics here in a second. This ties into that, and that like thinking about the metrics that your potential acquirer or your investor actually wants to see versus whatever vanity metrics and weird internal metrics that you've developed because of your business going one way or the other is something we we talk about a lot. Where it's like, oh, well, we don't, you know, we're not as concerned with profitability, like we're in growth mode. But like, okay, well, is your potential acquirer concerned with profitability and <laughs> and really thinking those things through and, and kind of eliminating those fantasies that you might be telling yourself or your organization when it gets big enough might be telling itself. Uh, I, I think would be be good as well and it's funny we've um Colin, i've been in the cannabis industry for for a while with this this current business and you get in the in the like selling to a good person conversation that you mentioned or just like just people believe in the seller like in this industry entirely everyone's always trying to get one over on each other everyone who's in that industry believes they're the biggest hustler or not and so you get in these scenarios where people buy or sell their businesses or in those conversations where everyone knows that they're just trying to get whatever point in over anyone and it's just the most horrid circumstances to be in around selling a business like it just lacks any of that kind of like authenticity and trust that you have in there and you're just wondering what someone's sliding by uh happy to be kind of no, yeah not having to think about that for for all businesses in the future it's just yeah but it is definitely by industry something you can figure out uh but going on into metrics if you're picking some metrics for your business or, or even a strategy for how you pick the metrics in your business, if you're trying to think from the beginning that you want your business to be acquired, you know, what are some of those key metrics? Obviously, it varies by industry, but like if I'm an entrepreneur trying to pick those right now, you know, any, any recommendations there that uh, they should consider? Yeah, as part of every package we put together, we have a key metrics tab on the P&Ls, right? So on the P&Ls uh, from Google Drive or Excel, there'll be a, a tab that says key metrics, Oren. And, and so we're going to hone in on that growth rate, right? Because that's one of the four pillars. What kind of year-over-year growth does the business have? Not just year-over-year, but Q1 of this year versus Q1 of last year, right? All of these different details the buyers want to look at specifically because they want to make sure it's still growing, not plateauing. The the, the number one thing you don't want to do as a buyer is make a decision on buying a business based upon annual reports only. You need to see the details of the last 12 months because all four of us know it changes very, very quickly. 
Um, the other key metrics is uh, gross profit margin. Is it shrinking? Is it growing? What's it look like month over month, year over year? Gross profit margin. Cost of goods sold, really important as well, right? Because inbound freight for e-commerce businesses is part of cost of goods sold. And how much have, has that tightened? And has it, has it gotten better? Right, so we're going to look at cost of goods sold, and then uh, advertising cost. As in, in, and all of these are both done in dollars and as a percentage of total revenue. Right, once you get beyond the total revenue, I want to know advertising cost as total dollars and as a percentage of total revenue. I could see it go up from a hundred thousand one year to four hundred thousand next year or four million next year. That's fine as long as the percentage of total revenue is still kind of in line. And then lastly is the bottom line sellers, discretionary earnings. How much margin do I have in the bottom, you know, compared to, uh, you know, year over year, same, same deal in dollars and percentages as well. So again, growth, uh, uh, gross profit margin, cost of goods sold, advertising cost, and sellers discretionary earnings. Those are the key metrics that we broadly look at for every business. But there are certain businesses that we may take a look at different things. If it's a SaaS business, we're going to look at churn rate. There's a whole bunch of different things depending upon the niche itself. I, if you don't mind me asking, I guess, from from your perspective, I think one thing that we didn't touch on there and we don't have to get into the exact minutia of it is sort of how you get to SDE when looking at sort of ad backs, right? And so if you could take a second and talk about ad backs. And I, I'm yeah, and you want to give a, a quick a quick definition of those terms, James? Just SDE and that for our- Yeah, yeah, yeah. SDE being seller's discretionary earnings, ad backs being a- an expense that gets added back as a as a as into the P and L as a profit, right? Uh, as a as something that should be, should have been profit, right? So yeah, these these are the basics of valuations. The two things about valuations is calculating seller's discretionary earnings that gives you the dollar amount, you know, what your what your SDE is, is for the last twelve months, and then the four pillars to, to depend, you know, determine what multiple is going to be applied to it. So as an entrepreneur who is running a business that is likely your most valuable asset. And you're going to make most of your money on the exit. You should know these two things inside and out. So the four pillars of value and the the the, the process of uh, calculating sellers' discretionary earnings. So you run a profit loss. You export it from QuickBooks into Excel, and that bottom line number is what net income, right? That is not what the multiple is applied to. So sellers' discretionary earnings is calculated by net income plus addbacks equals sellers' discretionary earnings. Well, what the hell is an ad back? I go over 18 of them in the book, and there's more than that because there's so many nuances to so many different businesses. But so you have to do the ad backs after the PL is exported to Excel. And then you add a section below there that says ad backs, and then ad backs plus, I'm sorry, ad backs plus the net income will equal the seller's discretionary earnings. An obvious, what I should say, well, yeah, we'll go, we'll go with an obvious ad back for now, right? Uh, a single owner operator running a business that is the net income is zero, but they pay, pay themselves $250,000 a year. That's an owner benefit. That's the way to think of it. Think of an ad back as an owner benefit or a one time expense that does not carry forward to the new owner of the business. So the owner's salary is a good example. Uh, another owner benefit would be cashback money or rewards that can be converted to point uh, uh, reward points converted to cash. I was at um, uh, an eight-figure seller summit last October, sitting around a fire pit, talking to this guy that had a ten-time multiple offer for his business. He was so excited, and I say, "All right, cool. How did you calculate, you know, the the, the discretionary earnings?" And his eyes glazed over a little bit. This guy's doing fifty million in revenue, right? 
So I won't, I say this and I talk about the dollar amount so that somebody doing a million in revenue doesn't think that somebody doing a 50 million in revenue knows everything about exits because they, they don't. It gener- you guys are all smiling at that. Um, so I asked him, all right, all right, look, Kevin, an example would be cash back money. And he got all excited about it because he's like, oh yeah, man, we do credit card stacking. You know, I get about $50,000 a month in cash back. I'm like, cool. What do you do with it? Well, it's over in my personal account. My wife and I travel. We furnish the house. We do all this great stuff, right? You can't you can't use it to affect your sale price then if you Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can? Of course. Even even if I even oh, if I went to Maui on it? Yes, you can. Be- oh. Because you can't you can't take yeah, you gotta you gotta do the cash value of it, even if it's on your personal account, as long as it's strictly used for business. So I can take all of the the cash value of it put it into a separate tab in that Excel, in that, in that um, spreadsheet, in that Google sheet with the, the P&Ls. This guy, $50,000 a month. So we added it. I talked, showed him how to add it back to the net income level. That's $600,000 a year. It added $6 million to the list price of his business because it's oh, an yeah, owner yeah. benefit, right? Most people actually don't run it through their P&L and let their bookkeeper do those numbers and you know, do that cash back money or the value of it. I know that at Quiet Light, we're sitting on like a million reward points, right? That has value. It's an owner benefit. Mark and I can do what we want with it. Uh, and so if I were selling the business, that would absolutely be an ad back. Other, other ad backs might be legal fees, right? Let's say the three of you were business partners and you decided to oust Oren. Well, actually, you decided to buy him out because it happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're ready. They're ready. Any any day, there is like this guy. Uh, Say so you decided to buy him out, and you spent twenty thousand dollars on legal fees working out the agreement on that. Well, that's an expense that's not going to carry forward to me when I buy the business from James and Colin, right? Because that's a one-time expense. A patent, a utility patent, molds. Those are one-time expenses. There's there's like eighteen of them that I list in the book. It's all in chapter eleven. But again, there's so many others to think about. We we mentioned uh, freight charges, right? So they went up to twenty thousand dollars for a container. They're starting to come back down. So a lot of questions come up of, well, look, my typical you know cost is let's say five thousand, but I was paying twenty thousand, but now it's down to five thousand. I'm ready to sell now. So I've got six months where I paid twenty thousand. Last the last six months, it's only five thousand. Can I do an ad back for that? Can I do an adjustment for it? What do you guys think? Just say yes. No. Just say yes. I, I was going to say, yeah, if we're okay. on the, this train of thought, yes. Yes. <laughs> Just say yes. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't want to say yes. Or, or I was going to say no. Well, there's $15,000 a month in those last in the first six months of the year. That, that expense doesn't carry forward to me if I buy the business from you. So it's an ad back. Same goes with, and this is these are the, conversations. These are, this is why I like to talk to business owners or have my team do it because I don't do it anymore before, um, you know, 12 to 18 months before they're going to sell. So if you can renegotiate cost of goods sold down, right, repackage it, get, get it a little cheaper, even if it's a buck or two, but you're selling 5,000 units a month, that's $5,000. Even if it, even if it's only halfway through the year, that can be adjusted and added back. Or if you raise prices, so you know, if you raise prices, this this happened um, after the pandemic hit. I had a client that was selling at the end. Uh, I sold their business in, I think it was December of 2020. And the pandemic hit, supplies chain issues were happening, and she raised prices by $4 a unit in like June of that year. 
and sales went up even higher, right? She raised her prices and sales. So she was never going to drop the price again. So I, I went back to the first six months of the year, took the total number of units sold, added $4 to it in the add back line and increased the value. I had an increased the value of the business because that, that increased price carries forward to the new owner of the business. So if you think about the opposite, if I'm a private equity buyer and I'm going to buy a business from you guys and I ask the question, James, did your cost of goods sold go up in the last six months? And you say, yes. I say, okay, well, I need to adjust the value of your business down, right? So if I renegotiate cost of goods sold down, the opposite is true. There's so many nuances to it. And this is why people lose their shirt. You think about the FBA aggregators. I know most of them. They're very smart, well-educated, good-looking, charming people that you can't trust. Okay. Their pitch is, you know, just work directly with us buyers and sellers together and avoid the broker fee. We'll pay you cash, close in 30 days. None of that is true. They don't pay all cash. They don't close in 30 days. But they're they're, if they're working in their best interest, their best interest is to buy that business for as little as possible and for as little cash down as possible. Whereas and, if so that, that ties really well into, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go, go, go ahead. I was going to say, so if you actually say we've done all these things, right, you know, we've, uh, we've calculated the value of our business. We've got our SOPs, our financial metrics are together. We've, you know, we've, we've set the right goals. We're roughly where we want to be. How do you actually decide where to sell your business out of all the options that are out there? And, uh, you know, and is there any, you know, depending on your size, your experience, you know, kind of recommendations of where you would steer different entrepreneurs? Well, I just steer them directly to Quietlight Brokers. What do you think of an idiot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, but I think everybody. Yeah, you know, so if I've got my 500k CPG goods business losing ten thousand dollars a month, you're like, sign me up. Yeah. No, I, I, no, but I think I pass, point, right. It's like at what at what at what point do I go? At what point am I going to a smaller marketplace? At what point am I going to you? At what point am I going to an investment bank? Right yeah. to, to represent me? Right. Yeah. Like, it's a it's a good different. it's a good question, and I gave a smart ass answer. I apologize for that. <laughs> That's no, fine. No. You're, you're you're fitting in with the pod as well. Yeah. Well, I read the notes about you guys. And all the smart had, assery yeah. that was going to go on, so I figured I'd bring it. Yeah, yeah. We, we've kept it pretty tame so far here. We haven't. I haven't gone after James' choices at brunch yesterday or anything like that. But yeah, we can, we can start. Now. So the most important thing is not who you're going to choose, but doing all that work we've talked about beforehand, so that you're going to get the most value for your business, no matter what you what path you choose, right? Because you can't. Well, if you're going to sell on your own, if you're going to go to uh, Flippa's Deal Flow or uh, micro acquire if you have a, a smaller business and you're going to try to sell on your own or, do, or you're just going to list it on biz buy sell there are three options for you that i just gave you smaller marketplace transactional uh, platforms where you can just list your business and sell and you work directly with the buyers right but you've got to do all that prep work up front to make sure you're giving the buyer everything that they need to make an educated decision and build trust with you because if you don't do that if you don't even if you don't do a, a, a Q&A on your own business, like what questions are buyers going to ask me? I'm going to write those out and then I'm going to answer them all because I, and then I'm going to give that to them along with P&Ls. It's going to, it's going to shorten the, the, the period from listing the business for sale to going under LOI. So those are the small marketplaces. You want to step up a little bit. You might go with empire flippers, you know, um, that's more transactional as well though. Right, so they're good people. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from them at all. I like I like Joe and those guys a lot, um, but it's more 
they, they don't have one really experienced M&A advisor holding the entrepreneur's hand the whole way through. When you want to step up to that level, really, it's it's Quiet Light, it's um, FE International. I don't want to. There aren't many more that I would say. You know, a lot of folks know who website closers are. I would say that the most important thing when you get to this level is that. Okay, well, let me answer James' question first. So, size wise, when do you decide to go with uh, a quote unquote investment banker? It's a, it's a tough question to answer, right? Because they don't do anything different than we do. Uh, I don't want to take on a half a billion dollar transaction, right? So quiet line, we're not we're not going to do that. Um, we've got historically the, hot, the 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 largest transaction that we've closed, James, is is twenty five million. We've got one about sixty five million that's about to list, and to be honest with you, it's no different than uh, a $25 million listing, or even a 3 or $4 million listing. The buyers might be different, right? But in this case, it's we know who the buyers are already, right? And so we can... The, the difference between a, a website closures and, and, and uh, Quiet Light and FE International versus an investment banker like Intrepid is that the, the prior ones, we've built the list of buyers over the last decade or more, right? 99% of our transactions are sold to our list. Whereas Intrepid has to go out and build that list each time they list a business for sale. So we do, we do both, right? So if we've got a business that is a little outside the box and we don't think it's going to be perfect for our list, we will go out and we will hire a firm that we work with to go out and build us a list of potential buyers that we'll go out and, and go after. And we do that, but still... 9.9 times out of 10, it's sold to our list. And I'm sure that $60 million will be as well. So if you get to the point, I think, if you're um, going to have a $100 million exit or more at this point, I would probably seek an investment banker like Intrepid. But sure. then I would also- They're probably seeking you out, by the way, at a, at a $100 million cash exit. You're probably getting phone calls pretty often to sell your business. By the investment, and I don't know about, about that by the investment bankers oh, because no. they're from, so from busy. Like PE firms that are trying to scoop you up already. Right, right. Up. But yeah. that's a direct sale too, right? So sure. I, think, I think you should always have representation no matter the size of your business. Otherwise, I promise you, you're going to lose your shirt. There's so much more money to be made. You think about Kevin and the $600,000 in cashback money. He didn't know what he didn't know. And there's sure. so much more to it. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, I think you should have representation. And I think that more than anything else, you have to figure out who you trust and who you like. So you want to have conversations. Don't be afraid to have conversations with more than one advisor or more than one firm. It's your greatest asset. And you're going to make most of the money on the exit with that asset. So you've got to like the people you're working with. And then if you don't, well, even before then, if you're not ready to do that, let's say you're going to work with a, a firm like Quiet Light, just inquire on listings and look at the businesses. You're going to have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. That's a you know, pretty serious step. But if you look at the transactions and how they're presented, you'll make your decision pretty quickly on one firm over another. That's, you know, you'll, you'll go, oh my God, I can't understand what these people are saying. The P&Ls are horribly put together. I can't possibly work with them because they're not helping the buyers as much as possible. They're just trying to make a buck. So you can make all those sure. decisions. It's, a, it's not an easy process. And, and uh, you got to go with what's, what's in your gut more often than not. 
So with all the buyers that you have contact with and the kind of folks that are out there you're having, having conversations with, what are some of the kind of more exciting niches or things that you see emerging that uh, you know entrepreneurs should, should be considering you know, going into the next few years? Well, I, I, I think that um, there's two things that are happening. Uh, one, any anyone that's got anything to do with the pet space in the pet niche, uh, make sure you've got some recurring revenue there and building stuff up, right? <laughs> James, am I hitting on you again? James has a, I, I got to put this in context because otherwise it will just, it'll just come across badly. So, so in James's course, he has like a sample project where, Hey, if I, I bought this business for like a hundred dollars and I'm going to end up flipping it for, you know, a thousand dollars and it's a dog Frisbee website, but we talk about it all the time because he puts a significant amount of work into this dog Frisbee website for what it is comparative to like where any of the value is. But, uh, but yeah, best, best dog Frisbee.com. Is that the Be- best yeah. dog Frisbee.com Amazon associates, you know what I mean? Like semi-passive, you know what I mean? No, it's just, it, it was uh yeah, I bought it for like 400 bucks. I think I could make it like a four or $5,000 site. What, th- that touches on something we'll touch on the end, which is like, I'm really excited about to have you, Joe, is that l- my shtick, like my shtick online is I can help you acquire and improve sub million dollar websites. I'm really good at that. But I think there's an, what this is really hammering home to me. And I think that everyone should take away from this, myself really included, is that forget me figuring out how to optimize a funnel or me figuring out better conversion rate optimization or sort of where you're going to put comparison tables on an Amazon associate site. Forget all that. That's really important stuff. And that's, but that's one piece of the process. And when you're looking at an exit, there's a whole other set of this that comes from the perspective of essentially, for lack of a better term, investment banking, right? Like understanding like how to like look through these, you know, P&Ls and income statements and cash flow statements and, and balance sheets and say like, how do we really look at this in a real serious way? And how do you prepare for that exit in a serious way to sort of maximize the money that you're going to get out of it? Because, you know, when you were talking about the ad back stuff with credit card points, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not stacking credit cards, but I am hyper cognizant of using credit card points all the time. And I never would have thought about like, oh, great. Like my, you know, 600,000 Amex points I got this quarter might actually be, you know, might actually be be able to add back to the to the. You didn't you didn't do an ad back for credit card points in the transaction that you just had. Oh, no, no, on bestdogfrisbee dot com. No, sorry. On bestdogfrisbee dot com, we're not spending. We're not, no, we're not, we're not spending. Kind. No, but I, but there's a weird, interesting. Well, that's a whole complex thing because that's a hold code that had a LLC subsidiary yeah. versus like. Yeah. I'm just thinking about my life right now yeah. in terms of like bestdogfrisbee.com, yeah. which is not. We, <laughs> so so <laughs> with, with bestdogfrisbee.com, if you want to talk about, you know, Orrin asked about the really exciting niches that are going to take off and get huge value, you know, you're going to add some sort of recurring revenue model to that. You know, they're, sure. they're you know, maybe some sort of teeth supplement or something that's going to, you know, make sure they're not going to lose sure. a tooth when and that every frisbee Every six hits months, you, know you get a new Frisbee because you're going to wear out the Frisbee in the first place. And why don't you want that Frisbee provided to you? We're going to aggregate <laughs> you the best Frisbee. Now, plus on top of that, you're going to get content every month. The tricks you can do with well, your dogs, a, the digital portion of it. Now we're a SaaS yeah, business. We're one step from a SaaS. All right. Yeah. You want to track your dog's Frisbee activity? Sorry. It's a Discord. The Discord community will tell you which best, which is the best frisbee every month. It's one hundred ninety nine dollars a month. It's very simple. It's very, very straightforward stuff. No, but so 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 all right. So recurring revenue, um, and then sort in of pets. What, in pets specifically. Yeah. No, I think one thing I what I find interesting is I mean as you know as someone who's not who thought I was clever and I was like I looked at Thrasia. We could talk about big Amazon FBA aggregators, right? And I looked at Thrasia and I was like, oh, these are such suckers. Amazon is a sales channel, not a CMS. Like, I don't want this sort of platform, uh, you know, ability to get ripped apart. I mean, they already make their own brands. I drink Salimo coffee, which is their which is their K cup brand, right? Like, 
Um, dark. <laughs> dark. It's not dark. Orange. <laughs> Orange very uh, pretentious about his coffee. Um, but my but point I is, I was going to say, yeah. what are your thoughts? Not just in like. What do you think of like uh, roll-ups and sort of the aggregators that we're seeing these days, right? Because that's been a big thing, right? And it, it is, uh, is that something that's going to come on down as we look at sort of, not to get too esoteric, but I look at like broader equities markets being really, really crazy right now. And that probably trickles down into smaller private valuations, right? Are we seeing, I guess it's a twofold question. One is, what are your thoughts on the aggregators, A? And B, what are your thoughts on valuations, right? And of what we've seen in the past couple of years. Does it, does it, does, are things feeling too hot in the private market or does it feel like just... All right. So, A, what do I think of aggregators? Um, I think they've done a great thing for F, uh, for business owners that sell on the platform called Amazon. I hate calling them FBA businesses because they're not. Um, so, I think they've done a great thing because they've, you know, for 14 years, QuietLight's been trying to say, look, you can sell these things. They have value. What's wrong with you? Why don't you get your stuff together and exit because that's where you make most of your money, especially with physical product businesses. Well, these guys come along in the last five years, they've raised billions of dollars and now everybody knows. So that's a good thing because of the competition, the values have risen. If you go back five years ago, I couldn't sell an FBA business. I'm going to use that term for now. More than 2.74, 2.75 as a multiple. Couldn't do it. Now we're five, six, seven times if it's the right business. No, if you have a $200,000 business, you're not going to get seven times people. Those that's because there's institutional capital looking at the larger businesses, right? I'm assuming that the valuations are going higher above a couple million, right? Because, the, because they're going higher the across the board. Looking... Okay, but are, are institutions coming in and buying $300,000 no. businesses? No, no, no. Right. So, no, yeah. but the $300,000 businesses have a higher multiple than they did five years ago or even two years ago, right? So that's part A. I think they've done a very good thing raising awareness. Do I think that, uh, so what do I think in part B, the future of aggregators and roll-ups and things of that nature? Um, absolutely, some of them are, are going to crumble and it's going to shake the industry and people are going to, for a moment, they're going to go, holy shit, Thrasio is going under, right? <laughs> you know, Thras is not going under, but their, bo their, <laughs> their books are a mess. And, and so, uh, you know, I believe them, like others, are pulling, you know, taking their foot off the gas in terms of buying uh, businesses. They're being much, much more selective and pickier than ever before. All of them, not just stress, but all of them. Um, and, and, and some of them are going to have to sell to other aggregators. So there will be some consolidation. Um, and I think as um, with any business that grows too fast and too rapidly, if you think about, I, I worked in a company uh, called Talk America, back in the late 90s, actually mid 90s, 94 to 97. And I was employee number 34. By the time I left, we had a thousand employees and it was a wonderful ride and an awful ride at the same time. So with these aggregators, when they're growing like crazy, they just need to hire bodies. Here, you're the new product manager. Well, they don't pay all cash people and you're going to get some of your payment on a stability payment or an earnout. And if they run out of inventory, and you're going to get paid based upon an earnout, then you are screwed because they didn't pay attention to the inventory level. So you have to negotiate things like this into your contracts that say, if you run out of XYZ product, uh, you know, for any reason other than you know force of nature, all bets are off. You owe me that earnout. You owe me that seller note. I've seen this happen, guys. People are like 91% of the way there. And I had a client. We, the first thing you need to do is actually make sure that you always have access, view-only access to uh, the, the seller account. 
if you if you're going if you're getting paid after closing view only access number one because that way you can see how sales are going and if you know they're keeping up with inventory and you can harp on the product manager to order more inventory it doesn't always work at a client that did that they still didn't do it they're like yeah we got this we got this shut up we got this we're smarter than you we bought your business they ran out of inventory three weeks prior to a three hundred thousand dollar payout we had a clause in there mm. that made them get paid out anyway but most people that are selling direct to them won't have that clause in there and they'll lose out on that uh, earn out or stability payment I went on a tangent there. That's a great. Sorry about that. Alpha. No, no, no. no, that's, no, that's, no that's, a, that's a kind of thing that people really need to consider. And like those things are big when you're telling your business. And like we didn't hit on earnouts or anything at all. I think that's a, a great one for people to know. But you did touch on something I want Colin to give his rant about. He was going off on this on Twitter the other day about the Manscaped books. Mm-hmm. And just all like, oh, yeah. and, and like, and companies that are just, you know, growing too fast, hiring too many people, don't make any money. I'll, I'll, I'll let you riff. Yeah, I saw, I saw Ezra Firestone posted something about that as well in a feed that I'm part of and what they lost like a million bucks or something like that. Or three? No, they, no, I'm sorry, they, like a hundred million, like, right? Yeah, they they did around three hundred and lost around three hundred for 2021. And then I think I, I was thinking about this is really perfect for the meme of like the evolving brain that's like broke, woke, and then like all the electrons are firing. It's like like at the most base level, it's like oh they lost three hundred million dollars, and then the next level is like oh well there was a lot of share based compensation, and so they weren't actually burning that money. And then the final boss is like, yeah, but they lost it, right? That's the way <laughs> that fin- financials work and so on and so forth. And I, I think the really interesting with thing with Manscaped- I mean, where, where are we at? Can we add back in? Uh, right, can we add back all <laughs> that we gave away $300 million to the company? Probably not. But uh, I think Manscaped <laughs> is interesting just because it's like such a basic, it's more or less like a commoditized electronics uh, uh, device or, or piece of equipment yep. and like then all the accessories around that. I don't get how their margins are so brutal or how they they figured out how to not uh, do really <laughs> they're, they're well. They're making everything domestically. It's uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a yeah. made America play. Was it the cost yeah. of goods sold? I thought I, when I looked at the PL, I thought that it was just a huge outgo of, of advertising. It was just uh, yeah, it was SGNA uh, and you know, yeah, mar- marketing this like, massive, which also made, you know, which makes sense because I was going to say at the beginning of this, I was going to say like Manscaped sponsor the sponsor the podcast, uh, but you know, because <laughs> that's going to be obviously hear them everywhere, but like that ROI can't be that large, right? right. You know, although it is right. a recurring subscription product, right? As they're, far as I understand, they're uh, I mean, their their gross margin dropped big time too, but I think that's explained by going into channel instead of just DTC. Um, but to be at only like I yeah, think they're at like containers. fifty fifty three or fifty four percent margins. Uh, in 2020 before going into channel, which also seems like totally brutal for a product like this. Totally brutal. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, That's just a different world. And I don't think most of the people that are listening live in that world whatsoever, right? They're, they're running one, two, three, four, 10, $50 million businesses, not businesses that are doing 315 million in revenue and losing $200 million. You know, they're, they're building a business to exit. Um, these guys are bu- building a business to go public or to be acquired by a much larger private equity firm that can bring that in and shed some of the overhead and, and build on that recurring revenue. And that's, and that's part of it, uh, you know, Orrin and Colin, it's, it's that recurring revenue model. It, it does get at, at a certain point, it, it does get valued on revenue, not on uh, on earnings uh, when it gets to uh, recurring revenue just for the future. Amen. All right. Um, any kind of, any kind of parting thoughts or questions we we have, we have for Joe? James, I see you. I see you no, I mean other than what I said, which was that like you know Joe, like really candidly, I spent an hour talking to Blake, the CEO of Flippa, the other day. I've known Thomas from FE International for twenty years. 
like since he started. So to be honest with you, I'm really overly joyed by how cool it has been to speak to speak with you because it's one of those things where I think I know a lot about what I'm talking about and I'm very confident when it comes to like acquiring small websites and improving them but like that sort of exit process and like sort of how to optimize for that and I sort of candidly I sort of hate on bankers pretty often that's part of my shtick as well and I think that like you are reminding me that maybe there's a lot of value in value extraction or like if there's a lot of value in sort of understanding how to look at financials and how to prepare for that correctly, yeah. as opposed to just being like the person who hates on bankers. The ne- next uh, guest, Lehman Brothers, we're bringing the whole, all the brothers, we're bringing them all in. Yeah, you can, you can hate on bankers, man, but they earn you money, all right? So you can consider Quiet Light an investment banking firm as well, because we do the same damn thing that Intrepid does. Sure. Um, uh, and we make you money. That's the thing. When you, I mean... Dude, I guarantee you, if I looked at the PL that you on the business you just sold, well, I I know I know it was sure. part of a bunch of different stuff, but I could I could you you could have made more money if you when you sell directly. I, I doubt I doubt there's a a direct sale, and I, I'm not going to make any bets here or figure this out, but I doubt there's a PL that I could look at, and when somebody sold directly, that I couldn't look at at it and, and earn them more money, even with a, a fee involved. Yeah, sure. but, awesome. but, but more, good to know. I have your phone but, number but now. more than, more than that, right. It's not just, oh, well, you could have earned more. It's going back 18 months or 12 months and get, 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 get your shit together so that you can exit well, exit with a peace of mind and, and sleep well afterwards. Right. And so the exit performance playbook will allow you to do that without having to have a conversation with a banker initially. Right. It'll give you a blue belt. In karate, right? But not a black belt. You're still going to get your ass kicked by that buyer when when you're two weeks away from closing, and then they say, "Oh yeah, we we'll, we changed our mind on this. We're just we don't agree with your ad backs. We're, we're taking a half a million off the price." I've seen that happen, right? I've I've, I've oh, seen yeah, it yeah. happen, and they do it just because they. Colin and I are, 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 are guilty of being those people. They, so there really it is. is uh, <laughs> there it is. I've definitely done it yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry to all the people listening to the pod who we've done that too, which I know you're out there. That you know, here's it's just it is what it is at this point. <laughs> Uh, but that, that's a good. Uh, well, that was a good tie into the. Uh, if we want to, we want to shout, shout out the book, the the Entrepreneur's Playbook. Uh, support independent bookstores. You know, we can't we can't support the the Jeff Bezos, Washington Post, Amazon. Uh, we we've got we got to go. You know, find your uh, find your local your local area, or is there a website we can get it direct? What's the best way to uh, engage in, in purchasing? You your can get it at Exopreneur.io or any of the places where you would normally go to buy a book online, which could be that place that Jeff Bezos owns too. Yeah, no, I'm just doing. We have, we, have, we have no problem with Amazon. Yeah, we're just uh, you know, just just spicing it yeah. up. You know, can't give it there. Any, uh, any, the anything else? Is there is there a master class? Is there a, anything else? No, you, I haven't you, done you that. I, I, are you writing I'm the next tired, book? Man, I got a lot of gray yeah. on my chin. I don't know if I'm going to do that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so does James. I feel like the website flipping industry makes you prematurely gray. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, just buy the book. It'd be the best eighteen bucks you ever spent, in my opinion. Of course, I wrote it. Of course, so awesome. I'm, I'm a little biased, but I think it's true. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, well, I think all of us are like eighteen dollars. I'm like, but but in a cohort, twelve months, eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, look, we appreciate you taking the time down to join us and uh, you know and, and deal with uh, and deal with us interrogating you here for an hour. But I think hopefully this was super valuable for everyone listening. I, I definitely think it was. We'll break some of this down into some Twitter threads online for those who uh, who who can't sit through a whole a whole hour of uh, of us talking. But uh, yeah, appreciate your time coming. I through. appreciate it, man. Thanks, Thanks guys. Time, appreciate it. Thank you.